this is Simone. Welcome to Race Reflections at Work, the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice, and oppression in the workplace. This episode will focus on workplace issues surrounding people's appearance, how that appearance is policed, what that has to do with respectability politics, and white supremacy. To send us your queries, questions, and dilemmas, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk. That email again is at work at racereflections.co.uk. Before we begin, it is important for me to name how many of us are feeling about the genocide in Palestine, since it is not only an example of violent colonialism in action, but also because as a crisis, it is connected to many other aspects of oppression that we address here at Race Reflections. Many of us are witnessing the horrors of what's taking place in real time and feel unable to stop it or help. Worldwide protests in support of Palestine are ongoing and many people are becoming allies to the Palestinian cause on the daily, despite the danger to their safety. In addition to the general ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, Palestinians and their allies all over the world are being targeted in part for how they choose to express solidarity against the ongoing genocide. As I am in the United States, I will speak to a few situations briefly that specifically pertain to a part of people's appearance and how people of color, Palestinians and their allies are being policed. One component of people's appearance that is in the crosshairs right now is wearing the keffiyeh. The keffiyeh is a traditional Arab headdress which has long been a symbol of Palestinian identity and resistance. One of the situations that took place recently is that Palestinian students were shot at for wearing a keffiyeh, which is not only unacceptable and wrong, but indicative of how white supremacy is reinforced through the way people's expression and appearance are policed. In recent days, there was a white woman stalking a Palestinian woman for wearing a keffiyeh. America the Ghetto issued a tweet in response to this situation, saying, Seeing a white woman stalk a Palestinian woman wearing a keffiyeh reminds of George Zimmerman stalking Trayvon Martin for wearing a hoodie. A lot of white people believe that if people of color are wearing clothes deemed threatening, they have a right to harass people and be violent. I think this tweet correctly joins an analysis of how black people are treated for wearing something white people find threatening to how Palestinian people and allies are treated for wearing something white people find threatening. It is a hoodie one day and the kafiyeh the next. White people can then rely on police and other violent arms of the state to retaliate, to retaliate disproportionately, and that places people of color in danger. Policing people's appearance serves white supremacy across all environments, but especially in environments like school and the workplace. Before zeroing in on the workplace, let's talk about dress codes in school, setting up dress codes in the workplace. Here in the United States, but all over the world, dress code policies, which of course include uniform policies, policies about people's clothes and hair and other things, they're impacted by fear of violence, fear of sexuality, fear of different cultures. And these anxieties impact 
racial and ethnic minorities, especially female students, especially Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. There's a lot intersecting here with gender and class, leaving the most multiply marginalized people more vulnerable to surveillance. If you think back to your school dress codes and you think of them as impacting girls much more than boys, not only does that lead to how we control women's appearance in general, but if you think about which other components are forbidden for children to wear, it polices how other cultures and subcultures express themselves. I can not only think about the many different ways Black people are policed for how they look, how their bodies may look, and other components of appearance, but I can think of how Indigenous people and people of other cultures are policed. And we can just kind of take it from the top down. This has to do with hair, hair texture, length of hair, the covering on people's heads. And this has to do with people's clothes and expression of um, their gender, as well as their sexuality, their disability, their religion, and so on. Many of these are protected components of identity, but because of dress codes and workplace dress codes, they're actually targeted and end up, like I said, placing multiply marginalized people in worse situations. When it comes to cultural discrimination, particularly against women and particularly against women of color, it's a widespread issue around the world. Previously in some of our podcasts, we talked about how people can be targeted not only at schools or at churches and in public spaces, but people face hostility at their workplace for how they present themselves. And according to Pew Research, this is especially true for women who belong to Eastern ethnic or religious groups, people of color, indigenous people, LGBTQ plus people. And they are pressured to conform to rigid standards of not only dress, but behavior. And in part, that's why so many LGBTQ plus people feel the need to hide their sexual orientation or gender identity at work to this day. And in many other ways, people are forced to hide their cultural attributes and change the way their hair naturally is or the way they are used to presenting themselves elsewhere. And now I want to talk about an article written by Asa Gray in 2019, which is called The Bias of Professionalism Standards. It was published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. In this article, the author talks about how the standards of professionalism are really just the standards of white supremacy, and that explicitly and implicitly privileges whiteness and middle-class white people's standards, despite there being such great diversity in how people look and dress and want to behave at work. 
white supremacy culture at this organizational level, according to the author, is very apparent in what everyone considers to be traditional standards and values. The issue is that these standards and values are considered to be unbiased and neutral and just having to do with professionalism. But in the end, these values are used to create a certain hierarchy where the people who hold the most power in society just coincidentally end up looking like professionalism itself. And everybody else needs to change in order to be more professional and therefore more promotable or more successful in the workplace. The author talks about how when it comes to white and Western standards of dress and hairstyle, things like straightened hair, suits, but not saris. It also has to do with how people are policed for their speech, their accents, their word choice, their communication. It has to do with scrutinizing certain employees of color more than other employees and in also how appearance gets connected to attitudes around timeliness and work style. And so we need to explicitly ask ourselves as people in the workplace and people caring about a more inclusive workplace, how we might be reinforcing white supremacy, xenophobia and other forms of systemic inequity and where all of this is coming from, where these politics of respectability and professionalism are coming from to reinforce white people's power in the workplace and elsewhere. Some of the things the author mentions is the issue of psychology, how there's implicit bias, which we talk a lot about, this kind of unconscious association based on discriminatory stereotypes that people make. And they think they're talking about professionalism, but they're actually missing that they are reinforcing white cultural norms at the expense of all other norms. The author also mentions this pro-white bias shared in all of global media, which overwhelmingly features white Western men as these competent leaders and standard for normalcy. Such media conditioning really leads to the privileging of whiteness across all settings. This also has to do with how many people are asked not just to change their hair and their dress and the way they behave, but to change their names to sound more white and Western, to change some of their cultural norms. And this could really lead to biased implementation across the workplace, especially when people talk about whether a person is a good fit for the company or a good cultural fit for the company. And this really has to do with whether their values, behaviors, and dress reflect the values and behaviors and dress of everybody else at the company. And if everybody else at the company is, you know, the typical picture of professionalism and they are white and Western in the things that they wear, anybody else coming in is automatically going to be expected to fit those standards as much as possible or they're going to be seen as not a team player. And this then pertains to policing people's language, vocabulary, grammar, and it has to do with whether or not people will get promoted or even hired in the first place. (music) 
So when it comes to hiring metrics, for example, research recently found that not only is there a gender bias with which people take a look at resumes, but there's a certain bias against people who work blue collar jobs, people who have quote unquote ethnic sounding names and so on. And even though there are lots of laws in many countries against job discrimination based on race and sex and national origin, all of that, these kind of evaluation standards that exist based in these really racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist, sizest ideas of professionalism, this all leads to people being unfairly policed. Now, you've all seen those stories of women of color teachers being critiqued for what they're wearing and how their body looks to others and their students. And this really should give you pause and make you remember that we don't really care how certain bodies look in the same clothes. But then if they are curvier or larger or disabled bodies, then putting those bodies in the same clothes, you know, leads to a lot of issues. There's a leap that people make between how people look and whether they are competent at their job, which is a wrong leap to make because people should be judged on how they perform their job and not how they look performing that job. But the slippage that exists between these two things then really targets workers of color at their workplace and elsewhere. So in order to create a more fair and equitable workplace, we really should talk about acknowledging some of these biases. And the author of this article offers a couple of questions for actually that would help to center whiteness in the workplace. And I'm going to read them verbatim. So think about your personal relationship with the standards of professionalism discussed here today. How have you seen the standards of professionalism play out in your workplace and how do you contribute to those standards playing out fairly or unfairly? What are some of the ways you have seen others challenge professionalism standards or respectability politics at an organizational level in your workplace? Who might be an ally in changing your workplace culture? Do you have additional funding to support creating committees to undertake this difficult work? The author provides some cooperatives that have addressed the issue of professionalism in the workplace, like the Anti-Oppression Resource and Training Alliance, like the Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, like the Sustainable Economies Law Center, and Mondragon. All of these collectives are exploring ways to create a more inclusive workplace environment and at the Center for Ethnic, Racial, and Religious Understanding at Queen's College, the author has come up with an initial framework that can help all of us understand how to change our workplace so that it is more equitable. One of the things, and this is something that I talk about repeatedly in my podcast episodes, is not to expect that a one-time implicit bias workshop or panel can undo years of an equity. There needs to be ongoing work that's meaningfully changing the workplace with people who understand how white supremacy culture is reinforced through dress codes and policies. 
instead, or in addition to rather, we should also embrace cultural differences that exist in dress, speech, and work style, evaluate professional tenants like timeliness and schedules and leadership style through an anti-oppression lens. We need to center traditionally marginalized voices in assessment and examine, of course, hiring, firing, and promotional practices that are deeply embedded with these ideas people have about what is respectable, what is professional, and how everybody should fit those standards that, once again, benefit white people the most. So as I close out this conversation, it takes me back to how right now people are being targeted for speaking out on social media or for wearing a kefiye at work and the way that others are responding to these actions as threats. And of course, they aren't threats of any kind, but we are seeing a lot of institutions whether it's higher ed or government institutions that are conflating people wearing a kafiye or a pin of the Palestinian flag, for example, with supposed terrorist behavior. And when the violent arm of the state, like police or these new approaches the government is taking, are active, People's free speech, people's mobility, people's livelihoods are affected. And that's a really terrible thing. So I hope that this was helpful to help you reflect on the impact of white supremacy on people's appearance, respectability politics and injustice in the workplace. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This has been Simone from Race Reflections. Take care. Hello, this is Dave from Race Reflections, the person who puts the podcast together. From all the team at Race Reflections, we'd like to wish you a safe and nourishing break, whether you are celebrating any of the festivals or none of them. And we're looking forward to continuing to reflect with you in the new year. Music